Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Genesis. Great to have you here with us today. And uh, if you've got a Bible with you and you want to follow along on your own, uh, you can turn to Galatians chapter 6. If you want to use one of the Bibles around the room uh, on the floor, you can turn to page 813, and uh, we'll have the verses on the side screens uh, for you as well. We're starting a brand new series today called Our House. And uh, for the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about uh, all of the different relationships uh, that make up our lives. And uh, when I uh, mention these relationships, I'm certainly thinking about those relationships that you have with uh, your parents or your siblings, uh, maybe your husband or wife. Don't forget about the kids in your life, whether those be uh, grandkids or nieces and nephews. And then certainly there's all of your friends and neighbors and coworkers. Uh, and others in your lives too. We can all say we have this in common. We all have relationships. Uh, We were made for people. God has put people in our lives. And so we all have these different relationships and they're a significant part of every life. And so I want to get you thinking about those relationships that make up your life today, uh, really like their rooms of a house, all right? And what I mean when I say this is, is you just think about the different rooms in your house and how they uh, represent uh, all of the different relationships that we have. You could certainly say that the dining room uh, could represent your family, all right? Uh, Those that you live with, those that you live closest to. Uh, If your family's weird or you don't really like your family, they can certainly be those friends that are like family to you. The bedroom uh, represents the one whom you long to experience uh, intimacy with, and so this is the husband you've committed your life to, or your wife you've committed your life to, or the, the someone that you hope to commit your life to one day, and then certainly there's the kids' rooms, and these could be your own kids, but they're certainly not limited to your own children. They may also represent a niece or a nephew. They could represent a foster child. They could uh, represent uh, any child that is in your life with whom you have opportunity to influence or to model life for them uh, in some way, shape, or form. But here's the thing about our relationships, all right, and for every single one of us, all right, the thing about our relationships, whether they're uh, good, uh, life-giving relationships, we all want that, right? I mean, we all want our relationships to be peaceful and enjoyable. We want them to be a good part of our life. But because our relationships have the potential to be life-giving then, that can only mean that those same relationships can also make life very interesting, all right, and very complicated at times. Like, if you wanted to, uh, you could say that uh, a whole new generation of HGTV shows could come out of this idea of the different relationships of our lives. Like, think about this uh, could be show, Fixer Upper Mother-in-Law Edition, right? Uh, you know, and so it's a show all about building a separate quarters for your mother-in-law, maybe on the property, but not too close to the house. And just in case my mother-in-law is listening to the podcast, Carol, I do love you, all right? I love you dearly. You are the exception uh, here. But, uh, you know, maybe, maybe Maybe that's one show that certainly kind of represents uh, uh, some relationship source. So how about this next one? Maybe there's the show Spouse Hunters, right? Can you see a show like this where, you know, every week, you know, you're, you meet three new women or you meet three new men and thinking about, okay, does this person meet all of my needs? Do they fit into my budget? Uh, or, or how about this one? This one I think represents life. Well, you know, certainly there's brother versus brother, but you could also have brother versus, you know, those sister, uh, brother versus mother, brother versus father. You know, again, we know those can sometimes be really good relationships and life-giving, but at other times they can be very complicated too. And so here's what we're going to do. Over the next four weeks, we're going to take a peek into some of these different rooms of our lives and see how God's wisdom for us, all right, from Scripture can help us build the kind of relationships that give life. 
And here's, I think, just a, such an important truth for us that, that God cares about your relationships. Like, he is a personal God who is intimately aware of every detail of our lives. And he cares about our relationships, too. And he cares about the opportunity that we have to influence and encourage one another. But he also cares when we find ourselves in some really difficult and complicated places and we're really not sure what to do with it. And so we're going to keep coming back to this short but well-known collection of sayings that's right in the middle of your Bible. Uh, in the Old Testament, it's a book called Proverbs. Uh, it was written by a man the Bible calls the wisest man that ever lived. That's Solomon. And here's what Solomon had to say about our relationships and the wisdom that we can gain from God when it comes to these different relationships. Proverbs 24, verses 3 through 4. He says, By wisdom a house is built, and through understanding it is established. Through knowledge its rooms are filled with rare and beautiful treasures. And right away, Solomon just helps us understand that wisdom is a gift from God. All right, wisdom for life, uh, everything that we do, every moment, every choice, every decision we make, every relationship we find ourselves in, there is wisdom from God that can help us build beautiful, life-giving relationships, again, with these different people that God is putting into our lives. Now, the truth is, every one of us has some relationships that could use some work, right? Uh, we all experience this. We have this the same in common as well, but let's not try and demo the house all at once. Today, we want to begin by talking about an important part uh, of our home or of any home or apartment for that matter, right? But certainly our lives as well. I want to talk about the front door today, the front door of our lives and what that represents. And I think we'd all agree uh, that the front door is an important part uh, of any home, of any place that you call home. It's, it's how we let the right people in and it's how we keep the wrong people out. I don't know about you, but I am personally paranoid with the thought of leaving the front door unlocked, all right, especially at nighttime, and every door in our house for that matter. And so it's not uncommon for me at night to, to double check, to triple check the doors, to make sure that they are all locked because the thought of going to bed and leaving the front door unlocked is a little unsettling to me. But my point is this, for most of us, we would never let, we would never intentionally leave the person, all right? It's a bounce unlocked or wide open to anyone. It's there to provide security for a reason, all right? It's a boundary between us and the rest of the world. But what about the front door of our lives? See, the sad truth is that sometimes we find ourselves in situations where people get into our lives and, and they're complicating them. They make them very difficult. And sometimes we just have to deal with that. And sometimes we just kind of have to put those people out of our lives, all right? But, but the sad truth as well is that I think, you know, sometimes we just have a tendency to let people in and let them keep coming in. And, and maybe we miss an opportunity to establish some boundaries that could provide some security for us. And, and so the front door is all about establishing boundaries, all right, establishing boundaries with people, it's about who I let into my life and how much access I give them. Now, think about this in a very literal sense for a moment. Like when somebody rings your doorbell or knocks on the door of your house, all right, uh, who they are influences how you answer the door. And, and so if you peek out the, the peephole there and you see that it's a salesperson or a solicitor or something, you know, chances are you might open the door just a little uh, or not answer it altogether. Or, uh, you know, that you might, if you've got a storm door, they'll, you'll keep it locked and have a conversation with them through uh, the door. If it's a neighbor and acquaintance, 
right? Well, there's a really good chance that you'll kind of open the front door and maybe have a conversation there with them. If it's family or if it's a really close friend, you certainly open the door and you welcome them into your lives. Again, we, we do this with the front door of our lives, okay? And, and the people that we let in. But I think one of the difficulties that we have, I know it's a difficulty I've struggled with, is sometimes we don't set appropriate boundaries with others. So in order to understand the importance of having a solid front door to your life, or of having good boundaries in your lives with others, there's a fundamental truth about relationships that I think we have to understand. And, and here, here's how I want to say this. The truth is this, that there are many relationships in our lives that are good and life-giving and helpful, and they bring us joy, and they build us up, and they encourage us in our walk with the Lord, and they make life better. But the fact of the matter is that we all or will all have some difficult relationships with others too. And these sort of relationships... Uh, they, they, they reveal themselves in all sorts of different ways. Like even right now, as you're thinking about the different relationships that you have in your life and maybe some of those complicated relationships. I mean, maybe for some of you, it's the so-called friend that just never seems to appreciate your help. I mean, they just never acknowledge that help. Or uh, you, you've got somebody in your life and uh, you know his or her behavior is unacceptable, unacceptable uh, but it's just kind of become the norm. And so you just get used to it. Or, or maybe there's someone that you cringe whenever you pull in the parking lot and see their car uh, sitting there knowing you've got to face them, or it's the, the one that when you leave them, you actually feel worse than you did before you, you went to see them or you're around them. If it's somebody that has such a short fuse, you know it's like, well, walking on ice whenever you're around them. And so again, the front doors of our lives are important. Who we let in is going to impact our lives in some way. Now, think of it like this. The um, it's been 13 years ago that Jenny and I moved to Louisville, Kentucky, uh, where we were for a few years. And we had only been in Louisville probably for a couple of weeks and living in our home. And one day somebody knocked on the door and I went and answered it. And sure enough, I quickly discovered it was a salesperson. It was a Kirby vacuum cleaner uh, salesperson. And so I, I had this quick conversation. I always try to be very kind and tender and gracious to people like this and on the phone too. And, and so I'm just kind of chit-chatting away. And well, the way he described it was this, is, hey, today's my first day, right? And, and so my goal today is to be able to demonstrate this vacuum cleaner to so many people. Can you give me just 30 minutes? I mean, the hook, like I, as I look at it now, like he may was just extending this hook. And so I felt for the guy a little bit. And so I said this, okay, listen, we have to leave in an hour. All right. I'll give you 30 minutes if it's worth your time, because I'm telling you right now, there is no way that I am buying your vacuum cleaner. 13 years later, we have a Kirby vacuum cleaner sitting in our closet at home, and it's magnificent, right? It is one of the best investments we have ever made in our life. And I mean, as he had demonstrated it, I mean, he throws the baking powders, baking soda on the floor, and the vacuum that I had, like, you went over it like 50 times, and the baking soda was still there, and the Kirby picked it up all in one swipe. Like, it's just, it's this amazing vacuum cleaner. Here, here's what I'm getting at. I think there's a life lesson that comes out of all of this, and, and, and as we think about relationships today, let's put these together. Good relationships are life-giving, all right? Good relationships are life-giving, but now hang with me, all right? Think about vacuums here. Bad relationships really suck the life right out of you, all right? They just, they just drain the life out of you. They suck the life right out of you. And thankfully, again, God has wisdom for us for all different aspects of life. And the book of Proverbs has some specific advice for three 
uh, particular types of bad relationships, all right, uh, amongst many. And this list isn't all-inclusive, but these are a few mentioned in Proverbs. And so uh, as we read through some of these, maybe, maybe think about some of the relationships that you find yourself in and see if any of these individuals fall into one of these three categories. The first is this. It's foolish people. Solomon simply refers to them as foolish people. Proverbs 13, 20. He says, walk with the wise and become wise, for a companion of fools suffers harm. All right, and so a fool here, if you study this, a fool is someone who continuously makes bad, of the, the, even the bad life choices. And so what this verse does is it warns us uh, of the, the, even the companion of fools, the friends around them, the people around them suffer as a result of the foolishness. It's kind of like sitting in the splash zone, all right, for the dolphin show at the Indianapolis Zoo, right? If you sit there long enough, chances are you're going to get really wet. Now, if uh, you're a high school student, all right, if you're a middle school student, maybe you get tired of mom and dad talking about the friends that you keep, the people that you're spending time with, and whether you're influencing them or if they are influencing you, all right? I can remember my mom doing a little bit of this, all right? And so maybe you get tired of your mom saying, hey, uh, I just want to make sure that your friends aren't making bad decisions and you're not getting wrapped up in this. And you might be thinking to yourself, well, you know what, mom? I can be around them and they're not going to influence me in, in any way, like even if they're, you know, taking drugs or, or having sex with, with a girlfriend or boyfriend or uh, doing all these, you know, foolish sort of things, all right? Again, you might be able to withstand making such choices, but just note that it's a warning. All right, Solomon just says, hey, here's a warning. The, the company you keep has the potential impact to influence you in a negative way. And so hanging out with fools, as Solomon describes, can put you in the wrong place at the wrong time, and you can suffer harm too. Like I, I think of one of the ways that this almost could have played out in my life. So when I was in high school, I, I certainly was not perfect. I, I made some bad choices. I had a group of friends that I would sometimes spend time with outside of school. And my mom used to just kind of stay on me about where are you going? What are you going to do? When are you coming back? And it got a little overwhelming at times. But I, I think she had something in mind with this Proverbs passage about the company you keep. Well, there was one particular evening where, thankfully, I was not with these guys, all right? I had stayed home that night for whatever reason, and they were out, and they were driving around, and wouldn't you know it, somebody cut my buddy off on the road, and so he thought it would be funny. He pulled up next to that person, and evidently, he had a toy handgun underneath his seat, and he pulled it out and held it up to the window. Well, they went on laughing until about an hour later, the police came walking into the door of where they were staying and cuffed all of them and took them to the police station for a nice long conversation. I was really grateful, all right, that I had not spent the evening with those guys, and I was very careful in the days ahead about spending time with them. And so Solomon says, be careful of the friends that you choose, all right, whether they are wise or they're foolish, and, and not just students either. All right, I think any, for, for all of us, maybe you travel with your job uh, for whatever reason, and, and maybe you've got some people that you travel with typically who just have a reputation setting some really bad choices. Uh, you might do well to be very careful on your own of just setting some appropriate boundaries about what you will or, or won't do as you're traveling with somebody else. And so Solomon says, be careful around foolish people. The second thing is angry people. Uh, Proverbs 22, uh, 24, Solomon says, do not make friends with a hot-tempered person. Do not associate with one easily angered. Like, think of it like this. Have you ever lit the fuse of a firework and then run like crazy? 
Yeah, why, why do you do that, right? You don't want to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. You don't, want to, you don't want to be there when it blows. And maybe you know some people like that too. And people who are easily angered, they'll be some of the first to, to push your boundaries. They're most likely the abusers. They are the ones that are least likely to believe that they're in the wrong. And they might be people who, who come across as completely normal 90% of the time. And so other people around you won't always see this. But if you've spent significant time with them, you know the potential they have. And they just suck the life all out of you. And then finally, there are divisive people. And Solomon says this in Proverbs 16, 28, he says a, a perverse, and if you read this in other translations, sometimes the word dishonest is used, and so a, a perverse or a dishonest person stirs up conflict, and a gossip separates close friends. And so let's just acknowledge that there are some people who, and I don't understand why, but love to cause division. They love to be divisive. And they're the most likely to find every fault with every person, every business, every church they've ever attended. They're divisive people, and so they're most likely negative and critical, and sometimes cynicism is what they're most known for. Uh, divisive people tend to, to gossip as a way of drawing sides. And so if you've got a gossip in your life, chances are that every time you're together, you're talking about other people. All right, you're talking about someone else's fault, someone else's failures. And so here's the thing about a gossip. If, if someone is willing to talk about someone else, all right, when they're with you, how do you think they might be talking about you when you're not with them? And so are these really the kind of people that you want to give full and complete access to your life? And so let's just do this. How, how many of you, maybe by a show of hands, have at least one life sucker in your life right now, right? All right, just the honesty around the room. Okay, great. How many of you came to church with that person this morning, right? Don't, no. Let's not go there, right? We're not going to be that honest uh, here today. But we all do. I mean, we all have some complicated people in our lives. We're not even going to talk about the fact that well, sometimes maybe we're that complicated person. Um, but fortunately, the Apostle Paul had something to say about our relationships, that can help us understand what to do with these life-draining relationships, all right? So Galatians chapter 6, all right? You turned there a while ago, uh, starting in verse 1. Let me just read these first six verses here for you. Uh, Paul says this. He says, Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you may also be tempted. And then verse 2, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the world should share all good things with their instructor. Now, this is great instruction, really, for setting boundaries in your relationships with the different people the Lord has put in your life. But there's something here, and I don't know if you picked this out or not, that seems a little confusing to me, at least at first. And let me just show you this. If you've got your Bible open, in verse 2, Paul says that we should carry each other's burdens, all right? And now look over in verse 5 when he says, each one should carry their own load, all right? So it seems a little contradictory to me. That he says we should carry each other's burdens or load. And then just a few verses later, he says that each one should carry their own load. Now, let me just point out this. In verse 2, the word that Paul uses here, the Greek word, is the Greek word baros, all right? B-A-R-O-S. And it's loosely translated as a troublesome burden, all right? It's a troublesome burden that we should carry each other's troublesome 
burdens. And so think about it like this. Think about this small landscaping boulder. And I thought about getting a bigger one this morning, but it was wet out and I hadn't thought of it in advance and I just didn't really feel like picking up anything larger. So just imagine this is really large and really heavy, all right? And so I think what Paul is describing here is that when it comes to life, there are going to be seasons and circumstances that you're going to find yourself in in life that you just simply can't control. And it could be a crisis. Uh, It could be something very unfortunate that comes into your life and it just about takes you out. And so Paul says, you know what, as brothers and sisters in Christ, we should help each other carry these burdens. We should come alongside of one another and help each other and walk through life together. This is something that no one was ever intended to carry on their own. Now, the word that Paul uses in verse 5 is the Greek word for tion, all right, which is often used to describe uh, the normal cargo of a ship, all right? And so it's an expected load. It's a load that the ship was built and designed to carry. And so think about this section of Scripture. When Paul says that each one is expected to carry their own load, think of it more like a backpack, all right? And it doesn't mean that life with a backpack is easy, It doesn't mean that life with a backpack won't ever wear you down, but what Paul is saying is that there are just some certain life responsibilities, day-to-day living that we are expected to carry on our own, and certainly, and maybe most importantly, in our relationships with God, that that's just part of everyday living, of coming before the Lord and saying, you know, you have everything that I need today to get through this life, and so will you help me? We help me carry these responsibilities. We help me carry this backpack of life, uh, you know, as you could say, as you could describe. And and here's the thing, when, when it gets challenging is when you encounter people, when you invite people into your life, they're just having a real difficult time managing this. And it doesn't mean they're weak, all right? That's not what I'm trying to say, that they're weak in any way. But I think we certainly encounter some people that are just they're just never willing to get well. Like they're just never willing to acknowledge, okay, there's something in my life that, that I have to take responsibility for. I mean, it's part of the reason why, you know, for an addict, I mean, you know, that big step is just acknowledging that I can't do this on my own. And so when we, you know, walk alongside of people that just simply, you know, are, are, are refusing to, to deal with something that maybe originally what was an unexpected, unfortunate burden from the past, but now years have passed and they're just not willing to get the help they need. Well, you can see how those people can just, they can just suck all of the life out of you. And so setting boundaries, setting boundaries with people helps us recognize what is ours to carry or to help carry and maybe what is someone else's load to take personal responsibility for. And I think it's possible, I think it's certainly possible that some of you here today Maybe even this morning, you were just wiped out right now. Like you were just drained because of maybe one difficult relationship. And there may be all sorts of complicated reasons for why this is the case and why you've maybe been carrying their backpack for them. Maybe when maybe they're not ready to take responsibility for that themselves. But boundaries, setting boundaries can help turn this around. Maybe turn someone else's life around and can maybe take a life-draining relationship and potentially turn it into a life giving one. And so how do we set these boundaries? Just kind of quickly with you, let me just give you three things uh, to think about this morning and thinking about boundaries and relationships that you have. And and the first thing is this, just write down these words, put it down. All right, Put, put it down. That's it, that we all have certain normal and expected responsibilities. 
uh, our backpacks that we can't hand off to someone else. And so the first step when we realize that we've been carrying someone else's, all right, uh, unrealized or uh, at least an unwillingness to deal with, you know, sort of life circumstances and expectations and, and personality differences, whatever that may be, is we've got to decide we're going to put those down. And if you've been enabling someone else by carrying a load that was meant for him or her or maybe tolerating an inappropriate behavior, you have to find a way to put it down, to set some real boundaries. And sometimes that's the first step to change. And when you encourage another person, maybe by putting these things down, all right, while it will be very difficult and can be very difficult, it might be a way of encouraging them. It might be a way of being able to, as we'll talk about in a moment, to just speak into their life and to say, you know what, you can do this. You need to take these appropriate steps. But when you put these things down, you are taking the first steps towards breaking a potentially dangerous codependent cycle. And again, they may not be happy about this. They may fight back. They may cut you off. They may get angry. They may gossip about you, all right, start talking about you. But it's really best for them, and it can be life-changing for you. Uh, There is a well-known, well-read book on this subject, the book Boundaries. Uh, by, by Henry Cloud, and I'd recommend it to anyone here today. But, but look at these words about boundaries that Dr. Henry Cloud shares. He says this, when we begin to set boundaries with people we love, a really hard thing happens. They hurt. And they may feel a hole where you used to plug up their aloneness, their disorganization, or their financial irresponsibility. Whatever it is, they will feel a loss. If you love them, this will be difficult for you to watch. But when you're dealing with someone who is hurting, remember that your boundaries are both necessary for you and helpful for them. If you have been enabling them to be irresponsible, your limit setting may nudge them toward responsibility. And so what does it mean to put something down right now, maybe in one of your relationships? The second thing is this, that we need to speak up. And perhaps in the past, you've tried to just be quiet in a relationship, uh, keep the peace, Uh, especially if this is someone that you know gets very angry or despondent when they're confronted. Um, And thankfully, we've got some help, some wisdom about how to speak up. It was the great Italian philosopher, Frank Costanza, who once said, I've got a lot of problems with you people, and now you're going to hear about it, right? (laughs) Maybe not that. But uh, the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15, says, Instead, speaking the truth in love, We will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. Now, this verse, I think, is sometimes misused by Christians to just simply hurt others, to say hurtful things. And I've I've heard people who are just so forceful and so blunt with their words that they really just make this an excuse of, well, I'm just speaking the truth in love when you're not, and you're just speaking your opinion. And so we need to speak the truth in love. Right, that's a responsibility, I think, that we have as followers of Christ, if you're in a relationship with someone right now. But with love is so important. It really is the key here, meaning our, our heart has to be for the other person. Like We want them to win. We want them to overcome. And so it's like what we talked about a couple of weeks ago, All right, that before we confront, let's make sure that we are intimately aware of our own personal struggles, that we pray about these kinds of conversations, that we're praying and asking the Lord for wisdom and for words. And then when, when, and then when we do speak up, you know, we, we speak up in a way as, as a way of setting healthy boundaries in hopes of future reconciliation with this person. And so it might look something like this, that rather than just pointing out the faults of someone else by saying, you know what, you're just mean, uh, speaking up could sound something like, you know, you, you sometimes use harsh words that hurt me. 
And I want you to know that I'm going to start pointing those out to you. And if you keep doing that, it's going to be hard for us. It's going to be difficult for us to grow in this relationship. Or if you've got somebody in your life that you realize or recognize that they're just drinking too much, you know, a conversation might begin with, you know, your once casual drinks have turned into a really severe problem. And I'm worried about you. And I'm worried about the effect that it's having on us and our family and our friends on this relationship. And you need to get some professional help. And so boundaries are all about speaking the truth in love to others. And then finally, the last action then is to follow through. To be consistent, to follow through, that even when you speak the truth lovingly, you know, it's knowing that it may not be the last conversations that you're going to have about this matter because old habits certainly die hard. Uh, Addictions are very difficult things to, to overcome. And so it's important that you hold boundaries that you have set or you might just find yourself back. Uh, where you started. And also, it's important to continue the conversations. Like, don't just assume that your next interaction, because it's a good one, means that the problem is all of a sudden solved. I mean, you might need to keep coming back to it. And it might be painful at times, and you might feel like it's redundant. But I promise, here, here, and I I think you know this, people can change. Don't give up on what the Lord can do in someone's life. Don't give up on what the Lord can do in any of the relationships that you have right now. People can change. I've seen it. Let's demonstrate faith in seeing people change. I mean, I, it doesn't mean it won't take time, all right? It might take a really long time, I, but I've seen once painful and toxic relationships become very life-giving and satisfying relationships, and yours can be that too. And, and let me just add this before I close. If you find yourself today in a complicated or potentially dangerous or abusive relationship, you need to get help and you maybe need to get out of that relationship. And I just want you to know that our Genesis team and staff can be a very safe place for you and a helpful place for you. And whether that be today or in a coming day, that if you'd like to talk with me or Ben or any of our staff for that matter, we would be more than happy to listen and to help you take next steps. And we are just so grateful to have a great network of professionals, some here in our church and even beyond our church, that we would be more than happy to help refer you to and maybe somebody that can better help you set some permanent boundaries and maybe take some really important next steps for you and maybe for some others that you love as well. Again, Proverbs 24, 3 and 4, Solomon says, By wisdom a house is built, and through understanding it is established. Through knowledge its rooms are filled with rare and beautiful treasures. And I think we all want, every single one of us, we want our lives to be full of relationships that are like these rare and beautiful treasures. And as difficult as it may be to set some boundaries and to take action with these boundaries, they can really become maybe a path, you know, for those life-draining relationships to potentially be transformed into some life-giving relationships that are like these rare and beautiful treasures that Solomon describes. And I just want you to know that that's true for you whether you're a Christian or not. That I think this wisdom that, that God through Solomon makes available to us today, like it, it's good for you. Again, whether you're ready to say, I believe this or not. And if you are a Christian here today, if you call yourself a follower of Christ, let's never forget the whole reason why we can speak the truth in love, the whole reason why we can extend grace to someone else, it's because of the way that God extended grace to us through his son, Jesus Christ. That we've been recipients of the grace that some are so desperate for in this world. And Romans 5 reminds us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In fact, it tells us that we are freely justified 
that we are made right with God through faith and that we have peace through Jesus Christ in this world. And that just means that we were once enemies with God, but that God, through his grace, made a way for us to be in a wonderful, peaceful, and life-giving relationship with him and through Jesus. And so the only reason we can experience reconciliation in our relationships is because God went first. Because he made the move first with his son. And he made a way for me. And he made a way for you. And he can give us the wisdom that we need to extend this grace, to set appropriate boundaries in our life so that he can be glorified in our lives and in the lives of others. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your wisdom. We thank you for just your care and concern and compassion for the intimate details of our lives. And even those relationships this morning, Lord, or maybe a relationship that for some here today is just so obvious. It just takes so much time and so much effort and there's so much pain. And so we just pray for wisdom for that person today to know next steps. And uh, for the person here today that maybe finds themselves in a dangerous, uh, very difficult, complicated situation right now, maybe today is a part of that freeing, that wisdom to take a next step, Lord, to get themselves maybe to a better place with just potentially the hopes that maybe someone else will eventually, or they could get well. Only through you, God, and only through your work. And so, Lord, it is our desire. We want to proclaim that even with a song here in just a moment. It is our desire to live our lives fully and completely for you. And, and we need you, God. We need you in every way and every day of our lives to help us to give us wisdom, to give us strength, to give us grace, to help us. Thank you for being a God who helps and loves and cares. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.